0: Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time once again for another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. So grab your boards. We're going to swim out into the sea of ideas with our new surfing headquarters here live from UCI's Applied Innovation Center. It's Matt Hines coming to you live. How you doing? How you doing, Paul? It is craziness. I have a fake picture up behind me that I envision this big studio to look like someday. But for the moment, it looks like an Army Field Hospital as we move into our new digs here at UC Irvine. It looks like bags of blood and wires and chaos and carnage everywhere here it's a mess, but uh, eventually it's going to look pretty cool.
1: That's great. I mean, I'm, i look, You know, watching you here on as we record on Skype, I, I appreciate that you have your background. I don't get to see all of what you just described, which sounds terrifying. You've got some kind of hipster co-working space yeah, behind you.
0: This is kind of this it. is best I can describe it. Well, you know, it's perfect for this show because the uh, we're at the UC Irvine's brand new. Beal Applied Innovation Center, named after Don Beal. He used to be the chairman of Rockwell, I think. And so it's all about bringing technology to market. All the stuff they're developing on the university, how do they bring it to market? So they've got huge meeting space. they got all the tech host angels and the funders and the VCs and the accelerators here. But up on the third floor where I am, it's just me and eSports. We, they have the, one of the largest eSports programs in the country. You get a full-ride scholarship, not for playing baseball anymore, for For moving that mouse really quick here so
1: moving the mouse well you know for longtime listeners of this show you know that we are nothing but a hipster co-working (laughs) space that's right thank you for joining us on another episode of sales pipeline radio We are here live every Thursday at 11.30 Pacific, 2.30 Eastern. If you're listening to us live on the Funnel Media Radio Network, thank you for making this part of your workday. Of course, if you're listening to the uh, podcast subscription, thank you very much for subscribing and downloading. Uh, Our numbers continue to accelerate during this pandemic. I think as people are looking for interesting, useful, thoughtful things to listen to. So thank you so much for making us part of your podcast family. And every episode of of Sales Pipeline Radio, past, present, future, always available at salespipelineradio.com. Each week, we're featuring some of the best and brightest minds we can find uh, to talk about B2B sales and marketing. Today is absolutely no different. Very, very excited to have with us today. Uh, She is the co-founder of Somersault Innovation, Ashley Welsh. Ashley, thanks so much for being with us today.
2: Yeah, thank you. I wish I was out there in California. I'm in Boston where it's
1: not well, hip and cool, but. I mean, the, the beauty of modern radio production, you are in Boston, Paul is in California, I'm in the uh, dug-in basement up here uh, at uh, Heinz Homeschool World Headquarters uh, outside of Seattle, Washington. <laughs> this is our window, like sometimes Paul and I will talk a little bit about, you know, weather and he complains about the beach drizzle that he has to suffer through in Southern California. Mm-hmm. We are in this small window of Seattle summer where it's actually sunny, it's actually warm, it hasn't rained in days which is weird around here but um, i know up your neck of the woods actually there's plenty of people still digging out and try- trying to get their power back how are you doing
2: oh yeah oh we're fine i didn't lose power so everything's good here
1: that's good well i was excited to have you on for a lot of reasons but i think your approach in what you're doing at in summer innovation i think is really really interesting to our listeners specifically because This isn't just sort of sales consulting. You're specifically bringing a mindset of design thinking to sales organizations. I had to learn what that meant. I'd maybe have you start off by just describing your business and what does design thinking mean as it relates to effective sales teams?
2: Yeah, thanks for the question. So we are a sales enablement firm, Somersault Innovation, and what we have pioneered is bringing the tools, techniques, and mindsets from the world of design thinking into the sales environment to help sellers at all levels in the sales organization really stay customer-centric stay co-creative with their customers, and then uh, accelerate the deal cycle. So a lot of people will say, that sounds interesting, but what is design thinking, just as you mentioned. And even though many people haven't heard of it, most people have been a beneficiary of it. Design thinking is an innovation process that's used by many of the major organizations that we engage with, like Airbnb, Uber, any Apple product has come out of a design thinking process. The Quick Toothbrush, if you've seen that around now come out of that. And what's different about a design thinking process from a regular problem solving process is it always starts with the end user. So the customer and really paying attention to what does the customer care about and sort of being a detective with curiosity to get down to underlying interests and motivations. And then using that as your inspiration for what you create. And in our case, for what you sell versus or how you sell versus moving forward with your best idea or just knowing that a customer must need your solution. So it's all about customer-centricity, and there's some really tactical tools and tricks from the world of design that can help us as sellers be more effective.
1: Are there particular organizations that are better suited for this approach? Are there some where you sort of Mm -hmm. see particular red flags or warning signs or signals that this approach would be particularly useful?
2: Yeah, I think the more complex a sale is, the more useful this approach is. Because if you're, you know, let's say you're selling something very simple, like water filters, and you don't have a whole lot of options here, um, and it's not that complex in terms of the need then you don't need to go into this co-creative move. You don't need to really do deep discovery. Whereas if you're selling a complex, say, software system, you really do need to be on the same side of the table as your customer to figure it out together. There's so much unknown. There's so much ambiguity. And that's where I think some of these tools become particularly useful.
1: Talk a little bit about the discovery process in this approach and sort of how it sometimes differs from the typical list of sort of discovery or qualification questions that a seller might use.
2: Mm. Yeah interesting i was just talking to john barrows yesterday who's also in sales enablement and has a great firm and we were talking about just this idea of qualification like if we go in with the mindset of like i have to qualify you then i'm pretty narrow in my focus of questioning right i'm just looking for do you fit do you have a problem that my solution can solve so it's not to say that we don't all have to qualify because we can't waste our time but what the the discovery space that we talk about or the mindset of discovery that we also talk about is sort of Go into a conversation with your customer or do your research in a way that you're looking to learn new things that have been undiscovered by you about your customer and even their customers and what they care about. Because if you can come in with this sort of beginner's mind, not just looking for the problem that your solution solves, you actually are open to more opportunities and more things show up. There's something called motivational bias, which we we all suffer from, which means we look for things that confirm our assumptions. And we literally miss disconfirming evidence. We sort of push it aside because it's disconfirming. So if you can sort of acknowledge that and then stay open in your discovery, so much more shows up. And it's also the space of where you become a trusted advisor because you learn things that maybe your customer didn't even know. And you can share that with them and start to provide a different level of value.
1: I feel like we could spend a whole show just talking about the role and danger of bias in the sales process, bias in marketing. And I think sometimes, you know, well-meaning bias can be presented as a persona. Like we can be, we can say, listen, there's there's a general group of buyers that have a certain perspective. But if you assume that every buyer has that perspective, you might be missing signals. Talk a little bit about, I mean, there's value in that sort of personal development, but how dangerous is it to Mm. sort of come in with a Mm. bias? And what are some of the the things that might happen negatively if we do that too much?
2: Yeah, I think about actually the same thing as if you come in with your sales play, like it's an insurance firm, so you have your play. I talked to too many sellers who already have their play, quote unquote, and they haven't even done any discovery. So, you know, I think buyer personas are important. We're actually doing a whole project on that right now for a a client. So, it's important because you start to learn things about that type of person, that type of position, and hopefully you're doing really great discovery in building that persona by understanding really sort of motivations and interests underneath a typical buyer or a typical persona. But I think it's always like we always will say sort of hold loosely to your persona or hold loosely to your solution or play because it's just a starting point for you to say even to that person like hey these are some of the things that i've learned about people in your position how close or far am i from getting that right and then learn more from there
1: lots of what i've read from you and sort of the things you talk about sort of speaks to the sales organization i'm curious you know, how often you get to talk to the marketing team as well, whether it's just the work that mm. marketing is doing directly to support sales or even sales enablement programs. What should marketers take, take away from this design thinking approach?
2: Well, I think we're actually doing a big projects right now with Microsoft on the, on the marketing side, supporting them building assets for the sellers. And, you know, I think in many times marketers are actually more adept at design thinking already, like this notion of understanding who your end user are and doing deep research on your customer. And so they're already doing some of those things. I think what I do see so often is sort of the disconnect between marketing and sales, however, and that marketing maybe in this case, with this client I just referenced, you may be producing assets, but sellers aren't getting trained on how to use those assets necessarily from sales enablement in the way they were imagined by marketing. Or there's the marketing has sort of the marching orders around the, you know, different industry knowledge or things that they need to get their sellers up to speed in. But sellers are completely overwhelmed by all the things that are coming at them in terms of what they need to learn. And therefore, they're picking and choosing and nothing becomes valuable. So I think like at the end of the day, I see too much of the disconnect between marketing and sales. And I think actually design can be a great bridge i would you know i would love to have marketing and sales together in any of the work that we do versus working on either side
1: all right well we're gonna to have to take a quick break here pay some bills we we'll back more with our guest today ashley welsh talking more about design thinking and sales in marketing do we think about it in terms of how we create products and build our product strategy as well we we'll are back so pipeline radio yeah. How do you continue to drive predictable revenue in an increasingly unpredictable time? Creating a revenue growth engine is no small task, nor is it one that can be done overnight. And these days it can feel harder than ever to hit your stride. So how can you overcome the obstacles? Read the new research report on the state of predictable revenue growth from Six Cents and Heinz Marketing. Get it now at cents com slash prg that's hub dot the number six s-e-n-s-e dot com slash prg
0: all right let's pick it back up with uh, matt and his guest and before we go any further here i think the name of her company is perfect for the times we live in we don't just have to pivot we got to do somersaults these days we got to be innovative <laughs>
1: When I was a kid, we did somersaults. We actually called it, uh, it was tumbling, and I feel like that is for sure a good metaphor in 2020. Uh, That's a great question, Paul. Ashley, where did somersault innovation come from? Were you a gymnast, or (laughs) or, I'm just curious the origin story there?
2: (laughs) I was not a gymnast, but I will say I was practicing aerial yoga last night very badly. But um, (laughs) Somersault came from, when we were trying to think of the name, we started the company five years ago. We were trying to think of, like, what's something everybody can do? What gives you a different perspective? What's fun? Like, design thinking is a very creative, fun process. And so Justin, my business partner, had remembered that my girls had done gymnastics when they were little. And so, I don't know, he was inspired by the somersault idea. So that's where it was born, and it stuck, and we sort of like it.
1: I love that. Well, we're talking today, sales Prime we've got a few more minutes here with Ashley Welsh. Uh, she brings design thinking to sales teams. And it seems to me that, you know, we've been talking about the sales function. We've talked a little about marketing and how marketing could leverage this. What about account management? What about customer success? I mean, clearly we're not done communicating mm-hmm. and doing design thinking and, and creating its value once we sign that customer up. Have you had success working with customer success teams with this as well?
2: Yeah. I mean, they're a great group. I always think of customer success. My God, they're the closest to the customer once it's been sold, right? They're right in there with them. So I think, you know, this notion that discovery is, you know, I think we often put it at the beginning of a sales process. And really, I think discovery is an ongoing practice, right? You always should be trying to learn more about your customers and their customers. And so I think that's a great place for customer success to stay sort of in that discovery motion, uh, as they're uh, working with their customer. Um, and so there are lots of tricks and tools from the world of design that can help them stay curious, stay asking. W- just one trick, for example, is you seek stories when you speak to other people because in stories you would elicit a lot of conversation, I mean a lot of good information. And one way to get people to tell you really good information is to use last, first, best, worst which means to say, hey, Matt, can you tell me the last time a problem like this came up for you? Or can you tell me the best experience you've had using this software? So if you use those prompts, it actually triggers something in our brain to give you to remember and then give you really good information. So that's one thing that comes to mind, customer success, to stay in that discovery mode because they'll start to uncover more opportunity.
1: And yeah, I feel like I just keep like peeling back the onion here. I think you guys we just keep thinking about this concept. So we've got sales, we've got marketing, we've got customers success. Like what about product marketing? What about product roadmap? What about thinking about what your customer needs right at the foundation of a strong, sustainable yeah. business is building a great product, but then making sure as you continue to build and innovate on it, that you're not doing that in an insular way. Exactly. Is, is there a different discipline involved there, a different way of thinking about this?
2: Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. You know, I think what's primary to design is this notion of customer centricity is a thread throughout an entire process, so an entire innovation process, an entire sales process, an entire you know product development process. So I think if I had a big organization, I would instill just these basic sort of principles that whatever we do, we will always remember who our customer is whether it's an internal or external customer, and we will continue to test our thinking with them throughout, because so often we become removed, right? The further we get into a process, or the further we get into a sales cycle, or the further we get into an implementation, we become further removed sometimes from our actual end user, and that's where things start to fall apart.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. So you've been running Somersault Innovation for almost six years now. Something you've also been doing for quite a while is the work you do with the Design Museum of Boston. You're on the board there. Talk, can, talk yeah. a little about what yeah. that organization is and why it's so important to you.
2: Ah, thanks for that question. Um, yeah, the Design Museum is um, an amazing organization co-founded by Sam Aquilano and... He started this organization as a way to use design thinking actually to solve community problems. And it's called a museum, even though it's a nomadic museum, it doesn't actually have any physical space, but they put up or we put up different like installations in different places. So for example, they did one on the design of prosthetics. Again, this notion of how do you design prosthetics from the user's point of view in creating something that really works for people who uh, are missing a limb. So they had a, an exhibit in the Prudential Center in Boston of um, different uh, models and stories from different people. So in, in, as a way to inspire people to look at the power of design in solving real problems and so many other places that design can be used to solve community problems.
1: I love that. I think, you know, what's interesting is just hearing you, just your, this conversation throughout so far today and sort of design thinking. Uh, I think of myself as a creative person, but definitely not a design person. Like, I can't. Uh-huh. If, you, if You put me on a whiteboard and told me to sort of like actually sort of design what something looks like. I don't think of myself that way. But the way you're talking about design thinking isn't about having those skills. So That's if someone's right. looking at this and thinking, I don't have the attributes for this, prove us wrong.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's so true. Whenever we do our work, even in, with sales organizations, we're saying like, you don't have to be creative. You don't have to be a great drawer or any of the sort of the assumptions that come with you know, this notion of design. And what we're really talking about is this customer-centric, curious, empathic approach to solving any problem anywhere in the world. And thinking, it's sort of like the designer's lens which is all about those things. It's not necessarily about being a great drawer or constructor of objects. we got
1: a few more minutes here wrapping up with Ashley Welsh. Definitely encourage you to check out her business, Somersault Innovation, excuse me. And um, I'm assuming, Ashley, that, you know, best laid plans beginning of the year, 2020 mm-hmm. hasn't exactly gone that way. We've been somersaulting and tumbling our way through it. What yeah. are some things that have been surprisingly and delightfully different for you in this year i think it's easy to talk about sort of the adversity and challenges we face but i think we've all sort of had enough time to sort of think about the silver linings that this year represents as well what have been some things for you
2: yeah thank you it's a great question as well well i think personally it's been great for me to spend more time with my girls who are 19 and 17 and have to hang around a little bit more so i love that aspect of it i think on the professional front you know it's caused us to somersault more quickly than we might have into new spaces and one of the things i'm really proud and excited about is a relationship we've developed with mural which is a digital whiteboard they're awesome they're awesome for collaborating remotely and so we have a partnership with them, and we're starting to teach sellers how to use different frameworks digitally with their customers in order to collaborate online. So not only are you now collaborating on Zoom, but how do you create a digital whiteboard where you can both add information. And as one of um, someone I was talking to at SAP in pre-sales, he said, it's amazing when you put up a digital whiteboard and you invite your customer into it, how much information that they will give you because you've, you've created a blank space for them to add their thinking and you get so much more that way. So that's a partnership that came out of this COVID environment that wouldn't have evolved otherwise.
1: I love that. And I love just the, the story of being able to spend more time with your kids. And I was telling someone earlier today that you know, I mean, in a typical year, uh, you know, typical Wednesday, typical Thursday, I'd probably be on a plane in an airport somewhere. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's kind of the life I knew and I was fine with it. But, you know, honestly, this this week as my kids start to ramp up going back to school. My daughter is going into uh, middle school and kind of nervous about it. So being able to be here and kind of walk yeah. her through it and take her to pick up her laptop yesterday, I mean, little things like that that means something I think to her, but definitely means something to me is sort of we all make this transition. Mm-hmm. It's uh it'll be interesting to see as the world opens up again eventually, maybe, uh, you know, what how yeah. many of those things we'll go back to. And I think, you know, related yeah. to that, you know, a question for you about as things you've continued to evolve back into a new normal, what's something that maybe you are really excited about getting back into? And what's something that you're not? gonna go back to because Mm. you realize it's not something that's a priority for you
2: well i have to say you know i'm sales i've built my whole career in sales and i do miss the face to face i was just talking to someone this morning and i said where is this person that you're talking about he said he's in dallas texas and usually i would have said like great i'll get on a plane and let's go meet and let's talk and i do miss that and i hope that that will come back but I think that I certainly will be more judicious in my time and more convinced that so much work can still be done online and that we don't need to fly around, which is obviously sometimes detrimental to our families, but it's no good for the environment either.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Do you you think... um... obviously in the sales world you know road warriors have been a big part of the culture for a long time are we going to get back to road warrior status do we think that we are seeing the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning for uh sort of field sales are we going to be doing it more remotely now
2: Mm. i think we're going to do it more remotely i think there's been a lot of benefits both personally and then certainly the cost savings to organizations whether it's borne out into they save more than you'd make by putting me on the road all the time i don't know Who really knows? But with the advent of so much AI and the cost savings of keeping people off the road, I think it's definitely going to change in some way or other forevermore how we sell. Yeah,
1: I agree with that. Paul, you had a question, a comment?
0: I just think that it's too early yet to tell what's going to change, but I know we're going to keep doing somersaults for a time to be here.
2: (laughs) I hope so.
1: Yeah,
0: we're going to keep tumbling maybe for a little bit. Well, I want to thank our guest today
1: very much, Ashley Welch. Ashley, where can people learn more about your business and uh, just kind of read more about design thinking and sales?
2: Well, you can check us out at somersaultinnovation.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, Ashley Welch. And we wrote a book, Naked Sales, How Design Thinking Reveals Customer Motives and Drives Revenue. That's on Amazon. And uh, there's some great stories there and really practical tools that... I think people, many people, many organizations just start reading that and using those right away, and it'll explain more about design thinking as well.
1: Love it. Love it. We'll check those out. We'll make sure we get links to those in the show notes, and um, we'll be back next week. we got a great set of guests coming up here to round out the summer, get us back into, you know what? Paul, it's it, I know I always look forward to the fall. Fall is my favorite season. Oftentimes, it's related to the weather. It's the Christmas of the mornings. It has to do with college football, and we may not have as much mm-hmm. college football if any this year. Mm-hmm. It has to do with baseball in the playoffs, which I think we might still have. But you know what? The world continues to spin, and you know, big things and little things that we have enjoyed, that we do enjoy, and will enjoy, will still be around. But uh, we will still be around with Sales Pipeline Radio as well. We'll be back next week with some more great guests. For today, on behalf of my great producer, Paul, this is Matt Hines. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio.
2: All right. Thank you.
0: And with that, we wrap up another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio right here on the Funnel Radio channel. For network listeners, like you.